Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. Today, <laughs> that was so awkward. Ah! <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about Instagram trends. Uh, but I thought we should start by just recapping some of our favorite internet trends of the past few years. So, Kim, before we started, I sent you a video of something that you'd never seen before <laughs> that I saw many, many years ago, and it still makes me laugh out loud. Like hearing you laugh out loud at it made me (laughs) laugh out loud. Uh, And it's the viral video of the news program about the leprechaun sighting. Yeah. I laugh at it for one because like that was on the news. (laughs) Just seems like there's more to talk about. And to be fair... I never watch local news. I can't even remember the last time I saw a local news program. But right, you have no idea what they're <laughs> what they're covering. I mean, I mean, you can imagine what they're covering right now, but maybe like pre-pandemic. I mean, maybe they're glad because now they can talk about real news because it just it just didn't feel believable. <laughs> it wasn't heavy hitting. <laughs> Seeing that video for the first time, you know, you're, you're you're like fresh eyes, right? What part of it really stood out to you? Well, I mean, the local flavor and the amateur drawing. <laughs> That's my favorite part, too. And every once in a while, I'll just <laughs> post that on on Instagram to remind everyone. And I feel like I'm going to have to put that in my stories tonight. Like, never forget. Don't worry. Yeah. If you haven't seen this video, we will share the link. But you had to have seen this video. Yeah. I mean, I it's very likely that I was under a rock for a few years. The best, most important years, apparently. <laughs> it does remind me of the Jesus painting that got uh, restored, but the face got all smushed out. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that one brings me to tears. Laughing so hard. Ridiculous. Like... Like, if that's what Jesus really looked like, people would not have written all those books about him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a gaping mouth hole. Mouth hole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I just thought of an, a meme that is cuter, which was, do you remember when there was that monkey wearing that adorable vintage coat at Ikea? What? You haven't seen this? I feel like I really must have missed a few years. Where were you? Okay, wait. I am no going idea. to. Oh, cute. Oh. Okay, so basically, I'm going to send this to you right now. The headline of the story I just sent you is Stylish but Illegal Monkey Found Roaming <laughs> Toronto. Okay, I, I do remember this. Yes. How did you remember this? This is another one of those photos that I just want to, every once in a while I'll think about it and giggle and post it on Instagram like I just can't get enough of it and I think 
First off, this story is from more than seven years ago. It says it's more than it's almost eight years old. <laughs> well, I mean, the photo is this scary, grainy. It's like a jail like, photo, like bank rob. It's like a bank robber. But photo. he's in this beautiful, like shearling coat, <laughs> like surveillance camera. I know. Yeah. Can I just read you some parts of this article? This is the first sentence. Yeah. A disoriented monkey was found wandering aimlessly outside Nikea's store in North York Sunday. <laughs> Dressed in a shearling coat and a diaper, <laughs> the monkey managed to open its crate, unlock the car door, and go for a stroll in the Arkea parking lot. What crate? According to the Toronto Police Staff <laughs> Sergeant, he was, quote, clearly a smart monkey. <laughs> oh, my God. The monkey was ushered into a corner of the store by IKEA employees. Oh. Oh. What a joy to be an IKEA employee on that day. I know, and to see this stylish but illegal monkey. Stylish but illegal monkey. It really is a great coat, by the way. I mean, it really that is coat like- could definitely <laughs> be worn to this day. Oh, wow, here's an update. 3 years after his brush with fame, the IKEA monkey is doing great. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the, <laughs> the rewind. He looks like he lives in an animal sanctuary now. Oh, that's good. Good to, good to know. I feel like the Ikea monkey and the leprechaun amateur drawing are the two most important things the internet has ever produced. I do have to say there's one more that I do love, and I will okay. rewatch it on repeat. I actually have a tab open on my phone, so whenever I get a little... <laughs> sad or just like i just need some entertainment i will I'll, I'll i'll open it up and it's the dumpster fire meme oh, yeah. <laughs> the one your your boyfriend was spotted from gawker i think it was gawker or jezebel about your boyfriend was spotted and it's like this dumpster fire and it's it's like in a flood and it's just yes phenomenal it's really really good yeah or anything really with a dumpster fire also is just it gets me it like gets to my soul you know what i just searched dumpster memes and i there's a there's a photo of a boat in a dumpster like just the end of it it's pretty good. Yeah, dumpsters, good good content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, today we're going to talk about actual current trends on, on Instagram that are no less important and maybe someday will achieve the level of, of infamy that Ikea Monkey and Dumpster Fire have, have achieved <laughs> if, if, they try, if they try hard enough. So, okay, I'm going to start with one that has been going around. It's it's going strong. It's going bigger. It's going harder. So Kim, when you were a kid, did you get so excited when you saw, say, like a magnet or a keychain or a bracelet with your name on it? Like probably at a gift shop? Because you had the kind of name. It was all it was all <laughs> I had was that. It was like my, I finally found identity at a gift <laughs> shop in you know South Dakota. <laughs> so like a week ago, I sent you an image that said, Kim, from the Instagram account, what drunk Barbie are you? <laughs> yes. Do you remember it? Yes, I do. Yeah. I remember this. <laughs> yes. Do you need me to describe it? Yeah, describe it for our listeners at home. So it's it's essentially a, a Barbie that's been propped up as if she had a long night out. My Barbie, the Kim Barbie, had a, it was like a martini glass. 
and she was covered in candy and candy mm-hmm. was flowing out of the martini glass, but she'd also lost one of her shoes inside the martini glass. And I was <laughs> like, that tracks. <laughs> I get that one. <laughs> I think the candy was supposed to be vomit. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I am not. I am not a, a, a drunken vomiter. I am a drunken candy eater, however. <laughs> you are like relevant. <laughs> yeah. So this is the basic format, an image and a name. But you can share it with your friends, add it to your stories. And it, it gives you that sort of simple joy of finding a keychain with your name on it at the Grand Canyon gift shop. And there are tons of new ones popping up every day, like what frog are you? What pig are you? What Martha Stewart are you? What 90s toy are you? And I mean, there, there's so many now. I, I feel like I post a new one every day. What Pantone are you? Is it kind of like the new quiz? Like instead of it being a quiz, uh, it's like a it's like an image. You know, I get so nostalgic for the heyday of BuzzFeed quizzes. Yeah. Back when I was at ModCloth, every Friday at the end of the day, the whole team would stop and we would just do BuzzFeed quizzes for like half an hour. And this was not a company sponsored event. It wasn't, there wasn't a calendar invite. Like it wasn't carved in stone. We like trivia night. It wasn't. It was just like, oh my God, guys, look at this funny quiz. What Disney princess are you? And then suddenly we would do 20 more and we'd all be like laugh crying the whole time, you know? I miss those. I I took a BuzzFeed quiz recently and it was just garbage. At the end, it wanted me to buy clothes at Madewell or something. I hated it. Oh, God. I know. (laughs) No, it didn't tell me anything about myself. So yeah, I do think it's sort of like the quiz, but like way less effort, right? Well, it, it basically tells you. Yeah, you're like you, like you. You need to accept this that this that this your name equals this. You're this frog. I mean, I guess it's sort of like when we were in elementary school, you would like look up your name in the name dictionary to see what it meant. Did you ever do that? Yeah. What did what is? Oh my god, a, a thousand. What is times. what does Kim mean? A queen. Huh. Hmm, makes sense. Uh huh. Uh huh. Amanda means very lovable. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's why I got this name. But I remember that was something you would do all the time and it was like so fun. And I, I feel like this is sort of like that. It was also the only thing we had. It's like we had that book and like the Guinness Book of World Records. You know, we didn't have a whole lot. Also, you could look up swear words in the dictionary and be like, oh my God, bitch is a female dog. And then you could start calling Mad people. Libs. Oh yeah, Mad Libs. There you go. Mad Libs. Yeah. Well, this started popping up all over Instagram in July which sounds like a long time ago now that it's August. Things are moving so fast and yet so slow. In June, this trend actually began working its way across Latinx and Spanish Instagram with things like Aries un sticker and vaquitas con tu nombre, which means cows with your name. There's a cool thing about this because I feel like now they're everywhere and there's so many. Some of these accounts are accepting donations in exchange for new name content. So like you could message them and be like, can you make me a cow? with my name, I'm Kim, and they would make one. And then they're donating this money to some amazing organizations like Children of the Night and the Okra Project and lots of other charities. Oh and you know, this makes sense to me because in the past few months, the way we use Instagram has changed so much. Like even when I think about what I post, I almost never post anything on my main like page. I'm just 
posting stuff in stories and it's like 90% political or current events related. But previously it was like photos of me doing fun things or things that made me laugh or visual things that inspired me. Like none of that's happening anymore, right? It's all like, hey, stop being racist and Trump sucks and, you know, people are going to get evicted and stuff like that. So it's kind of become less about your outfits or your travels and more about sharing information about what's going on in our country right now. Education around racial and social justice, the fight against police brutality, and, you know, of course, our favorite coronavirus pandemic <laughs> still still, still happening. Mm-hmm. So much content about, like, wear your mask and whatnot. And it's awesome, actually, to see people taking something that is fun and simple, like this name stuff, and use it to spread some good. And also, it's just nice to have like an intellectual break from how terrible things are right now. Absolutely. And so it's something you can like, you can send to your friends, you know, it's not like you're, you're seeing your friends. So it's like a way to like, just open up a dialogue. So it's not like there's yeah. a ton to talk about these days. There isn't. And, and sometimes when people are like, Oh, we haven't talked in so long. I'm like, well, what are we going to even talk about? Yeah. You know, like I didn't do anything this weekend. I didn't do anything last weekend. We eat the same 10 dinners over and over again. It seems like you get like a new cat every day though, or one No one finds you. (laughs) That's not true. We only have four in the house. They've been here for a long time. They've been here for a long time. (laughs) It is true that quarantine has allowed me to really connect with the feral beasts of our neighborhood. (laughs) I mean, there's something else to do. I'm not like traveling for work and which I usually do all the time and You know, it's not like we're going out to dinner. Not that I would ever post a food photo anyway, unless it was intentionally disgusting. And there's just like nothing going on, right? As an added bonus, all of these creators of these like what blank are you accounts are also forming their own community and becoming friends. So there's just like friendship stuff happening. And I feel like we need that now when we can't see anybody. We're stuck. Yeah, the bonding yeah. and community, which is all what social media is about, is different types of communities. Yeah. Do you feel like there is any momentum for it to go anywhere or I mean, it'll just kind of hit a pinnacle and maybe die off? I think if you're really clever and can come up with some really esoteric ones, you can keep this going longer. Like if you can tailor to your niche market. <laughs> yeah, I think it's stuck so squarely in the younger group right now that it has plenty of room to grow into, you know, us Gen Xers or even into the boomer category. Like, I have a feeling that... (laughs) Then it has to be on Facebook, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that there's legs on it, but it might just get a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah. I I could see that. So it might go around for a while. I mean, I am kind of like... What's going to be next? Because you and I have talked about how the memes have kind of gone away. Like, oh gosh, we are just in a meme desert. Yeah, it's really, really weird. Like, I can't even think of the last new meme. Oh, there was briefly, and this died off really fast, that the memes going around of that terrible couple that pulled the guns on the protesters. Yes. That was it. Yeah. Like, there hasn't been anything else. The Brooks Brothers couple. Yes, yes. There hasn't been anything else since then. And honestly, that sank really fast because it was, it was just too real. You know, yeah. it's like I, yeah. we need a stylish and illegal monkey to walk into an IKEA. That's <laughs> we need something. Give us something, please. 
we need some happy memes. And I feel like these name things kind of do that. You know, it's not like what coronavirus pandemic mask on the side of the road are you? Like it's like positive, cute things and like nostalgia focused. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe here's an idea for people who want to spread some memes. What if we bring back all the classic memes that bring us joy, like the Ikea monkey Mm. and the Mm -hmm. amateur sketch of the (laughs) leprechaun and auto-tuning the news and, you know, whatever else is out there. I'm sure there's a whole bunch I'm not even thinking about right now. Maybe we just need to start pushing them hard. Yeah. <laughs> you like, remember me. Absolutely. Yeah, remember I feel like people miss that. Yeah. I think that they, they could definitely have a flashback. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to be sure to post some of this stuff on our Instagram when this episode comes out so we can start this nostalgic meme movement. Until you guys can come up with some new memes because they're not out there and we need that meme content and I'm not even seeing the normal meme accounts posting anything. It's very distressing. It is. I know. It is. Moving on to our next topic, there's been a lot of noise about a few digitally induced nostalgia and self-soothing subcultures that I feel like Maybe a lot of these memers are, have been moving into these new subcultures to distract themselves. There's a heavy reliance on social media, but particularly on TikTok. Well, I mean, TikTok's having its own problems, but I'm not going to get into that at all. You know how everything that happens and is news for one day just goes away now, no matter how horrible it is? Do you think mm-hmm. TikTok's going to go away? I don't I don't think it's going to. I think this is just some like a distraction from something else. Anything could be anything these days. I mean... <laughs> We talked about the the cakes from last episode and how the reality cakes were just (laughs) a distraction from real life. Like, I think, who knows? Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. Going back. um, So in particular, what I'm talking about here are two things. One's called cottage core and then something also mysteriously called dark academia. And I have read about dark academia a couple of weeks ago, and I was so excited about it as a trend that I sent it to everybody I knew. And then Cottagecore is something that has been around probably since last, late last year. So it's kind of like this rise in conceptual mm-hmm. escapism. It's a lo-fi nostalgic way of existing um, where people, individuals, um, particularly girls, are romanticizing just their way of living. It's a fantastical, carefree, magical, otherworldly realm where modern-day problems just don't exist. Kind of like things you might see in like a book or perhaps a movie. You know, there's not going to be any like technology mm-hmm. really or diseases. So it's kind of just normalizing, but also embracing a realistic and not-so-realistic make-believe world. This doesn't make a lot of sense until I start explaining it a little bit more. Basically, it's these these girls and, and some men are doing videos on TikTok, Instagram posts, Pinterest that are existing to basically compile your outfits. And these people are kind of living these extremes in a social and virtual way. But it's also very socially acceptable. So Cottagecore has been on our radar for months. It's been getting a lot of traction. Right. Um, it's essentially this internet aesthetic, which celebrates a return to traditional forms of craft, such as foraging, baking, and pottery. It fetishizes Western farm life. 
in like a Snow White or Little House on the Prairie context. There's a bunch of articles out there on cottage core if you want to learn a little bit more. Okay, well, can I interrupt you? I'm gonna send yeah. you, I'm gonna send you a photo that I think it's really important for you to see because I maintain that I am the originator of cottage core. Mm. Okay, hold on. Not shocking. But like a long time ago. And then I'm gonna tell you what this reminds me of. I want you to describe the photo I just sent you. Yeah, okay. This is a toddler <laughs> photo of Amanda in the perfect cottage core getup. It is a uh-huh. white dress. It is a blown out photo, so I can't tell if there's a print, but a white <laughs> dress with a ruffle. And then the bonnet. Uh, what do you call those kinds of hats? I think it's a bonnet. bonnet. Yeah, yeah. Bonnet. Uh, yeah. So the backstory there is that I had cancer when I was a small child, so I was bald. But there was also a trend sort of sweeping the nation at that time. So we're talking like the late 70s of this similar return to this prairie the idea yeah. of prairie and the aesthetic. So that was literally when Little House on the Prairie was on the air. Mm-hmm. We saw a rest- Holly Hobby. Holly Hobby. Holly yes. Hobby? I had a bunch of Holly Hobby stuff. Yeah. We had Holly Hobby. Strawberry shortcake. Yeah. Yeah. And Gunny Sacks and Laura Ashley from like a fashion perspective. Yes. Yep. God, I love strawberry shortcake. She's totally cottage core. <laughs> the backstory of how I dressed cottage core every day is like this was what was trending aesthetically, right? But you didn't see children walking around in bonnets and little prairie dresses. But I had cancer and I was bald. So my grandma knew this woman who sewed clothes and she had her make me all these dresses with matching bonnets. And this picture is blown out because it's totally from the 70s. I have tons mm-hmm. more pictures. I would assume that the bonnet and the dress have the same print on them because that's what they all did. So I basically dressed like Holly Hobby until I was about five. Like a little doll. Like a little doll. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of like young adult books from the 70s recently, and I'm struck by how hopeless and dark that time felt for people. Like, like, you know, there was a little bit of a financial recession. There was Watergate, you know, so the Nixon era. Remember the gas shortage? Things were bad. People were not doing well financially. There was a lot of social unrest. It's just not a good time. And I feel like it, it kind of pales in comparison to what's happening now. But it's that same escapism. Exactly, exactly. And I have been reading some think pieces about cottage core because I do say – I've never stopped dressing cottagecore. <laughs> Sometimes I'm dressed a little bit more witchy, but in general, I love a good floral. I love a puff sleeve, a long dress. I'd be totally down to start wearing bonnets again. Yeah. So I've been reading some think pieces about how some people believe that cottagecore is fucked up. You shouldn't dress that way because it's romanticizing colonialism. And it makes sense to me when you look at it in that lens of like when well, the 70s when everybody was dressing like Little House on the Prairie. You know who the, all of the settlers and pioneers in Little House on the Prairie were fighting against? The Native Americans, right? They were chasing them out of their homes. They took their land. They were killing them. They were always in a weird war. Yeah. I can't remember completely, but I'm pretty sure there were a few episodes where they encountered someone from a tribe and it was weird and maybe they learned something from it. I don't know. I can see that, but I know that's not what people are consciously doing when they dress this way, you know? Well, and it's dressing, but it's also existing. So it's doing like the baking and doing like cross-stitching and kind of trying to embrace this whole lifestyle that goes around with like farmsteading. 
but within your apartment. I mean, I love it. I've told you before in previous episodes, I'm so excited that people are learning how to take care of themselves. Yeah. Everybody's learning real life skills. Yeah, people are like how to make bread and mend your clothes. And yes. I mean, needlepoint is part of that. Like needlepoint is. is sort of the gateway to making your own clothes. It is. I think it's incredible. I support cottage core. I understand mm-hmm. the problematic elements to cottage core, but I I like the behaviors that come with it. Well, Vox came out with an article um, maybe about a week or two ago. I mean, there's lots of articles kind of coming out about this aesthetic, which means that it's continuing. It's not just a blip on the radar. But their byline said, meet the aesthetic where quarantine is romantic instead of terrifying. And I think that really kind of embraces the reason why this trend is taking off. It's giving people a purpose. It's giving people a sense of security. It's calming people's nerves. It's a very, very comforting lifestyle to to then also just be posting to your viewers and posting to to Instagram and Pinterest and just having something to kind of hold on to during this time period. Mm-hmm. And then there's some sub subcultures within cottagecore, including grandma core, <laughs> which is the ultimate of comfort. There's farm core, which would use some more like farm animals and farming and gardening things. And then more fantastically, there's something called goblin core. There's crow core. <laughs> <laughs> where it's a collection of like shiny, weird trinkets. So the person has these trinkets and is very excited about these trinkets. There's meadow core, which is essentially just a lot of pretty pictures of meadows. Fairy core, which Amanda, I feel like you fall here. It's like meadow core, but with like the mushrooms and magic. Ooh. And it keeps kind of growing and getting more fantastical, which is really exciting and kind of cool. You know, and even Taylor Swift has jumped into this. And she came up with that quarantine album called Folklore. Mm-hmm. It has that calming, calming aesthetic that has started to align with the lesbian and non-binary communities. They're finding comfort and community in this aesthetic. And there's a lot of articles, you'll read it in New York Times and everything, about how the lesbian community and non-binary community have become more and more involved in the cottage core movement. And that they actually find identity in cottage core. Anywhere that people can find community, I you know, I grew up the weirdo in my town and it was so exciting when I went away to college and met people who liked the same things as me and like liked vintage clothes and music and Mm -hmm. dyed their hair and gave themselves bad haircuts like (laughs) finding that community changed my life like it made me feel so much more confident and valuable and it inspired me to do more and so I'm glad that in a time when we can't have actual physical community with people that people are still finding one another yeah they want everyone to give them content so I mean like I said it gives people this kind of sense of purpose yeah to constantly be coming up with these uh, TikTok videos and things like that 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 embrace the cottage core aesthetic the next trend that is also blowing up and that kind of is paralleled to cottage core and it gets brought up at the same time as cottage core you know new york times did that article that i brought up originally and it's on that dark academia which is essentially new england ivy league or english boarding school students studying you know some sort of like 
literature, uh, wearing lots of tweed, you know, there's no phones, no TVs, there's, but there's blazers and plaid pants, black turtlenecks, sophisticated accessories, and lots of hardcover books. It's kind of that really kind of comfortable library aesthetic. So Rebecca Jennings from Vox wrote a great article, and I couldn't have said it better myself, about this kind of comparison about cottagecore and dark academia. She says, both take historical aesthetics that evoke conservative values and gender roles, Eurocentrism and heteronormativity, respectively, which modern day fans often reject. Cottagecore is particularly popular among lesbians on TikTok. And as one dark academia TikToker told the Times, it's very open community. Even though it's about classics, it's all about breaking stereotypes Hmm. regardless of gender or sexuality, which is just so exciting and cool and interesting that, you know, that that these kind of like polarizing, normally conservative aesthetic types are being kind of owned and twisted and turned into something extremely empowering. The offshoot of dark academia is light academia, which is just girlier. (laughs) Stop. Stop. These trends are not going to slow down for fall. So obviously we're in what they call back to school time period, which in general retail world, if we were in a regular retail setting, this would be one of the biggest times of the years for retailers, particularly ones that would be more for like, you know, Gen Z's millennials that, you know, are going back to school, going back to class and are looking for new outfits. And it's also kind of a back to fall where people are starting to buy fall apparel even though it's like a million degrees yeah it's i that has always (laughs) driven me crazy i will say today we went to target it's like Mm -hmm. one of the only places i get to go anymore (laughs) uh you know we needed some cat litter and i felt like for the first time ever i'd gone into like a very mass retailer in august and it didn't feel like it was fall like sweaters and coats yeah none of that no coats no sweaters no flannels finally lots of uh what i would call nap dresses in fact dustin said are those nap dresses (laughs) (laughs) i was like some of them are that one has a zipper i wouldn't call that a nap dress it's not seeing like traditional back to school fall clothing in august in a store Mm -hmm. made me realize like some people are figuring it out that's that's huge. huge. Also, we went into the school supply section, which was somehow still completely fully stocked. And Dustin said, wow. this makes me really sad because no one needs school oh, supplies. That is really sad. But I did think that was interesting. Like, I haven't really been shopping, obviously. I was wondering if everybody else is doing the same thing or if Target is just so genius. What do you think? I think that, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be pushing back their deliveries. They don't need any new goods right now. No, and it is hot. We've been talking about these seismic shifts in within the industry themselves. Mm-hmm. Most people have been like really furloughed, you know, giant portions of the industry have been furloughed. So it's not like there's been a lot of work done to even get mm-hmm. POs written and orders written or they've been canceled. I mean, who knows? There must be so many rifts in the system. I think more in season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's going to start shifting over into that because it just makes more sense. I mean, it always should have been. It always should have been. You and I have talked about this before. I have so many memories of the early part of my career when I was working in shoes, being in a meeting in February and my planner being like, well, sandal sales are terrible. <laughs> We're going to need to pull down your plan. And I'd be like, yeah, no shit. It's snowing. <laughs> 
Why did we bring in sandals in January? They should have maybe March, maybe late February, you bring in a little bit. It's for resort, Amanda. I know, but like nobody does that. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. Especially when you're working in a retailer that's for like millennials and Gen Z, you're not bringing in sandals in January. And I would always be like, why are we doing this? And conversely, we'd bring in gloves in August and be like, why isn't anybody buying gloves? Like, just stop it, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just get the product in when it needs to be there. I mean, having some pre-planning and like window shopping ahead of time is always super fun. Maybe do a a lookbook drop beforehand or something. For sure. And get a read. You know, get a little bit of a read. read. Yeah. 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 Let the crazy people who buy clothes three months before they can wear them give you some money. This is a great time to be buying a swimming suit. You know what I mean? Yet there aren't any. (laughs) They're all gone. (laughs) Yeah. Or or like I said, sweatpants. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing. (laughs) These two trends, cottage core and dark academia are perfect for fall because remember that Huga Danish cozy trend that just blew up the internet, you know, about three years ago and then it's just never gone away. This is, Mm -hmm, it it brings mm -hmm. that same comfort. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be seeing it rolling out, particularly into the younger people. You'll see like the Laura Ashley dresses and then the kind of dark academia tweed blazers. Uh, We're already seeing that tennis skirt blowing up, which it's not necessarily dark academia, but it kind of invokes that Ivy school sensibility, that kind of sportier Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see that kind of moving into something a little bit warmer with, you know, a knee high sock, which would be really cute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or like cable knit tights. These trends remind me a little bit of the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> and I know, Amanda, you know, after following your Instagram, I know that you like to dabble in both Hello Kitty Con and Ren Fair, which is amazing. And I would love to just quickly hear a little bit about that, you know, and in reference to these these kind of viral online digital trends. I love a fair <laughs> of all varieties. The last thing I did before <laughs> the world closed was I actually went to the Philadelphia Flower Show, which is like an internationally renowned flower show. And it's kind of like a fair for gardeners. And people dressed up. I wore head-to-toed florals and flowers on my hat and carried a little basket. There were people there who were dressed similarly. And I felt like, okay, so this is like a renaissance fair for older people because we were we were the youngest people there by far and that doesn't happen that often anymore (laughs) so it felt good we were like the young whippersnappers and stuff the renaissance fair is both amazing and sort of depressing Hmm. i waited my whole life to go to the renaissance fair i pined away for it growing up there's a famous one here in pennsylvania Every year my mom would say we were going to go and we didn't. So I never really got to see the Renaissance Fair in its heyday. That's so sad. I know. It's so sad. I think in its heyday, a lot more people would dress up for it. So we're talking velvet, lace up, you know, heaving bosoms Mm. in Mm. bodices, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. The Renaissance Fair that I most recently went to in Oregon, it was in high summer, which is a really hard time to go to the Ren Fair. Yeah. Y'all dressed up. Yeah, now that you know the attributes that are involved, but I did I did dress up for it as much as I could without buying special Renaissance Fair clothes. And you could definitely tell that there were a lot of people there who had their outfits, they paid a lot of money for them, and they wore them to every Ren Fair. And that part was really fun. But you know what I didn't like about it? Is 50% of the Renaissance Fair was booths trying to sell you future garbage. 
like a tourist trap, you know, like really ugly jewelry and dream catchers with wolves painted on them. And like, I don't know, tchotchkes. Yeah, so they're, they're paying for the booth and they probably make a lot of money off of these fairs. They probably do. But I I love subcultures, right? So like mm-hmm. even at the flower show, you got the gardening crew. Like there were all these different booths for gardening clubs for very specific types of plants. And these are people who are super passionate about educating the world about how to grow a succulent or low light plants or I mean I don't know like there was a fern society oh my god I love that kind of stuff and I expected a little bit more of that at the Ren Fair now at Hello Kitty Con it was tough for me because I also had a deep emotional involvement in it (laughs) (laughs) Sherry went with me we had costumes we Mm -hmm. worked on them for weeks in advance it was very fun so cute there were people there dressed up but not as many Uh, there were a lot of children there (laughs) they were dressed up but like in little kids special outfit being part of a subculture that I was actually like experiencing the event for was really intense like I get it like I cried at Hello Kitty Con there was this oh my god this is so embarrassing and it was like the day I really understood something about myself that I'd never understood before so we were watching this performance of like a person in a Hello Kitty costume dancing with some backup dancers who were just normal humans and they were lip syncing to just the cheesiest song with videos playing in the background. I was laughing to myself like, this is such garbage. And then I looked around and people were so happy, like losing their mind. And that made me start crying. I was like, I can't handle the emotion of this moment. Oh. I don't even have TikTok on my phone. Like I have nothing to contribute to the TikTok conversation. I'm too busy, but I can appreciate a good TikTok video when someone posts it on Instagram or talks about it. Mm -hmm. But I have been on my own cottagecore journey, independent of being a part of that community. Like Mm. it's funny how these ideas get out into the ether and they just find their ways into our brain without us even consuming something that puts it in our head. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. All of a sudden, I've been doing this thing where I wear a lot of floral, like, prairie dresses. My husband made me a pink matching hat. And, you know, I'm, like, drying flowers. And, you know, I live in a really gross city. (laughs) Like, not only am I trapped at home, not only have I lost my job, but they haven't been picking up the trash. And so I know because a lot of the workers have coronavirus, So people are calling off, but this pandemic has taught me more than ever how a chain reaction of things can make stuff go awry. Like nothing becomes a disaster just in a vacuum. Like there's always stuff that leads up to it. And so in Philly, it started, you know, the pandemic. So workers started getting sick. At the same time, we're all working from home now, or at least we're all home all the time. So the amount of trash a residence produces is like double, triple what it used to be because we're eating all our meals here. All of our trash is here. Like think about when you were back at the office, Mm -hmm. this trash you would throw out at work, right? Paper, whatever your lunch came in, tissues you used, you know, whatever, right? And then maybe you'd go eat dinner at a restaurant. So there'd be no food waste from that meal. And now you're not spreading your trash out anywhere else. Like it's just at home. And so the amount of trash for these sanitation workers has just, it's just increased exponentially. They don't have enough workers. And I might be misinterpreting this. Based on my reading, the 
workers are less about the amount of hours they work and more about the tons of trash they pick up every day. So they have a target. Like they have to pick up 50 tons of trash every day or something like that. Huh. 50 tons sounds like a lot. Maybe it's five tons, but whatever. There's, there's a target. And in a normal time, that target in terms of the volume of the trash they had to pick up would take about eight hours, right? And then you'd be done and plenty of people would have had their trash taken away. Right. It was sort of like it was planned out perfectly right. in a non-pandemic setting. Right. But now there's double, triple, quadruple the amount of yeah. trash to pick up and they're hitting that window when they've only done a quarter of their route. And so normally they would be able to go home, but they have to keep picking it up. And so people have been calling off sick, even when they're not, on top of people being sick, because they don't want to work unpaid overtime. Oh, and yeah. so our recycling hasn't been picked up in three weeks. There's Hence all a, your raccoons. All our raccoons. And there's a, a side effect of the trash not being picked up is that the city is being overrun by rats, cockroaches, and flies disgusting oh my god i know more than anything i want to retreat into this fantasy world mm -hmm. and i feel like that's also why more people are going to move out of the city after this yeah absolutely not just this city but all cities i'm assuming all that cities. many cities are facing this all of these same challenges there's also the fearfulness of getting sick by living in the city i think we're all realizing that we pay out this rent and what do we get in return the high rent yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, Philly's not that expensive. I mean, it's it's a little cheaper than LA, I would say. But still, I you know, you sit here and you're like, I pay this rent. What? Why? You know, like I could live out in the country, pay the same rent or less, and have a yard. Right. And you can live out your cottage core fantasy with a full garden. I mean, I've I've been growing corn here in California. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. A full. <laughs> Sort of I've been paying tons of herbs and flowers and most of my house plants are living in the yard mm -hmm. and it's just like this paradise to me, although there are a lot of flies. Mm -hmm. Something I've noticed amongst all of all the people I know on social media, people who are not engaged in cottage core because they are not like style oriented, like more like the civilians of the world, <laughs> not people like us. Right. Is that Everybody is fantasizing about moving somewhere rural. And I see people posting on their mm -hmm. stories, like houses they've seen in the country that are cheap, or people who I have never known to go outside in their lives are suddenly like hiking and camping and renting RVs and posting nature photos. And you're like, what? I didn't even think you'd ever been outside of a city before. Like People are learning new, new skills. And it does make me think that maybe all of this interest in rural areas and nature, which is definitely coming out of the pandemic, will make people more aware and appreciative of our planet. I don't know. At the very least, I will I so. never take a sanitation worker for granted again. Like, I am yeah. like, do they want a cake? Should I bring them a drink? Could I hug them? No, that would spread the disease. But you know what I mean? Like, what can I do? Yeah. Like, it's the same with the postal workers, nurses, all of everyone. Everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone deserves a cake. They do. They do. When I finally master cake decorating, I'm making one for everyone. So anyway, that's my thoughts on cottagecore. That turned into a whole, whole thing. But 
I've definitely been thinking about it a lot. It's it's all about the trends. It's all about the trends. And I think that we are going to see an intensifying of trends around rural life, rural motifs. I think mm-hmm. a lot about the 90s. And this was like not something that we were into because we were young. But like think about how our parents got really into like shabby chic and Mm-hmm. I don't know if where you grew up, it was like this, but where I grew up, every mom's kitchen had a different like country theme. Yeah. No, we had yeah. like a full country theme with like orange everywhere, like, red <laughs> totally. appliances. Maybe collecting some baskets. Mm-hmm. My mom's mm-hmm. kitchen was duck themed. My best friend's mom's kitchen was cow themed. Like, yeah, I think that these rural motifs are going to come back really hard. I hope slightly more elevated than that, though. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like, hopefully to be interpreted in a more lovely way. But do you think once the pandemic's over, like the, you know, the the cottage core community and the dark academia community will start having their own type of rent fairs? (laughs) I mean, that'd be amazing. I love that idea. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's really normalizing it and it's making it trendy. You know, like rent fair has been kind of, poo-pooed upon for mm-hmm, for years mm-hmm. as being kind of like dorky yeah but, but now it's it's like cottage core and dark like to cottage core particularly including things like goblin core they're not poo-pooed upon at all they're normalized and they're embraced i could see I'll, i could see a lot of like conventions and and things happening around it i mean i love the idea of it being both about style and skills yeah so because like to be honest, probably you're not surprised to hear this. When you go to the Ren Fair, you don't learn skills of the Renaissance. Like you don't learn you how don't to candle put, dipping. Yeah, or like how to put horseshoes <laughs> on a horse, or like I, how to fight the plague. Like you don't learn things like that right no. there. It's it's just like you watch a live jousting and whatnot, which is which is good. You need to see a joust. Like, can't can't you go and see that at medieval times? I've always wanted to go there. I've always wanted to go, and I've just never done it. We're going to go sometime. Yeah. We're Once go. this We're is over, go. we are going to medieval times. I don't know we where are. one exists. But... I think there's one in Orange County. Really? So I'll fly out to LA, and we'll go. We'll figure it out. I'm pretty sure someone told me this, because I okay. always joke about going. Okay. So imagine a cottagecore convention, and... Uh, it would be held somewhere rural, I feel like. Like, all of a sudden, my brain is filling with all these ideas of it, this replacing festivals because yeah. festivals are fucking garbage. Gross. And yeah. I'm glad they're all canceled. I'm sorry for the musicians and the local economies that rely on them, but they're so destructive, so wasteful, and so dumb. And so much clothes go in landfills after these because people buy all this disposable festival mm-hmm. wear. So imagine if they replacement is these conventions, which will have a better name, that are cottage core or other community-focused mm-hmm. events where, like, at the cottage core one, you know, people are going to be dressing that way, but they're also going to be learning skills, like how to bake, oh. how to farm. Needlepoint. Needlepoint. Maybe they're competing, sort of like at the flower show, where, like, here's the blue ribbon reward mm-hmm. for this needlepoint. Oh, the, the best pie. Exactly. Sort of like a state fair, but... But mm-hmm. not also, you know, state fairs super fun. But like, we don't need all these like gas guzzling rides and just a little, a little more glamorous, you know, something a little more Instagrammable. No fried Twinkies, yeah. but really being about like community and sharing knowledge, and also, you know, there's something to be said for putting on your best 
favorite outfit. Laura Ashley dress. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's nothing that compares to the feeling of putting on something special mm-hmm. and parading around in front of other people and getting compliments. Like, mm-hmm. I imagine it being all of that, but being so much less disgusting than Coachella. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's like, just, uh, this is a, this could be a massive business for someone to create this. I think this is my hot business tip of the episode. I was telling Dustin that my goal yeah. is to have a hot business tip for every episode <laughs> yeah. and that I'd been struggling with the Instagram stuff, but this is it. Start- this is it. We just fell into it. We just fell into it. Start mm-hmm. putting on these very specialized events. Mm-hmm. Be very mindful of the environmental impact of said event because Coachella is definitely not. I say these events are smaller in scale than what we think of as festivals, but there are more of them because they all address a specific community. You can do them more locally, you know. Like the Renaissance Fair I went to was pretty small. You know, it was just for Oregon people who love the Renaissance. I like Mm -hmm. that idea of this like smaller scale, keep the influencers out, no celebrities, like. Add value, you know. Yeah, because I just don't know. What do you come back from Coachella with? You come back with some photos, I guess, a hangover, maybe a sunburn, VD. You don't you don't come back with anything good, but imagine if you could come back with something you crafted or an award you'd won or you'd learned how to, I don't know, churn butter. <laughs> maybe that's something people should bring back, you know? I I love that. I love that yeah. so much. Anyway, on the subject of making things, nature, beautiful stuff, I wanted to talk about artsy flower arrangements in Ikebana, something that I've been seeing take over Instagram as well. So do you remember the like balloon sculptures? Because they were really big at this time last year. And I hate balloon sculptures. One, they're really bad for the environment. And yeah. two, Popping a balloon is one of the worst things ever. <laughs> it's too stressful. Really, it makes children cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and if you could, if you see someone about to do it, it's like the worst two seconds of your life. It is. It is. <laughs> and I so I feel like this this time last year, I was seeing a lot of like balloon sculptures on people's porches and over their tables and at parties and a, a background for shows and festivals and that. That time is gone because balloons are for a bigger crowd and they're bad for the environment and we're all changing our ways even if we don't know it. And I love this explosion of artsy, avant-garde, surprising flower arrangements. And honestly, I started to see a little bit of this at the flower show, which like I said, was for an older crowd. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's getting out there everywhere. We're talking like unusual groupings of flowers, not what we think of as like a normal bouquet or flower arrangement, but unusual flowers, herbs, other greens, maybe some mylar, feathers, fruits, you name it. I actually just found today via the magic of Instagram ads, a company called High Vibe Florals that delivers these stunning, unusual Mm. floral arrangements. And they come with a personalized intention and a mini reading about your life. And they have like energy or something. And I don't know if I believe in any of that stuff, but these bouquets are beautiful. And they're a mix of flowers and things that grew that you wouldn't expect to see together. 
I think that this new aesthetic for flower arranging has its roots in Freaky Bana, which you and I talked about recently. And which is one of my favorite. Oh things. my God, me too, me too. And Freaky Bana is the wild and wacky cousin of Ikebana, which is the traditional Japanese art of flower arranging. And Ikebana has this like delicate, intentional aesthetic. It's like a a craft. You have to go and have professional training to do Ikebana. I know. I'm sad because... At the flower show, I picked up some information about signing up for Ikebana classes. I would be required to complete a certain level in terms of courses, but then I could join the Philadelphia Ikebana Society, and I was really excited. And now that's on hold, yeah. but I I am obsessed with Ikebana. It's so stunning. And so Freakibana takes this delicate, intentional aesthetic, but executes it with a mixture of incredible unusual flowers okay well that you expected but then did you expect jello cubes random vegetables a takeout container from the deli i mean basically whatever the creator was feeling that day because ikibana itself is about energy and balancing energies and aesthetic decisions mm-hmm. Frikibana takes all of that and says let's put this in like in contemporary situations in the city, we don't see a lot of flowers. What do we see? What are the objects of simple beauty that can be arranged together to create these feelings? And so that's been around for a couple of years and I still see it and I still love it. Mm-hmm. But this new flower arranging trend that I'm seeing on Instagram takes that, takes the unusual elements of Frikibana but it marries it with like that boring girly girl era of Instagram, you know, where it was like walls made of roses and peony bouquets, like marriage industrial complex, boring basic stuff. But it still was beautiful because it was a lot of flowers, right? Like you couldn't not like it. Yeah. But this is cooler, you know? Have you seen, it's called Birch Floral? Yes, I follow them. Ugh. Oh, yeah. And that is like a fantasy land in itself that is practically like, it's it's like... Uh, it's pop color with with the feathers. Yes, I love the feathers. I've seen some other people doing it with these things that look like feathers, but are made of cut up mylar. They're sculpture. They really, They're really amazing. are. I mean, I am going to tell you that in ninth grade, everyone at my school had to take this standardized test that was supposed to help us figure out a career. Yeah, I, which, I did that. Which it makes me laugh now. Do you think kids still do that? Because like, what a dumb idea. <laughs> I. That a standardized test you take when you're 14 could help you find your life path. I mean, mine mine said that I was supposed to be a beer brewer. What? I was also <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, see, so I don't I know if it, I, I have no idea how I, it came down to that. I remember just being like, what? <laughs> it was like sponsored by PAPS or I something. Know, exactly. Right. It's like, like 30% of the class, all the smartest kids at like chemistry. You all become beer brewers. <laughs> the less smart kids, you guys become beer drinkers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's going to be a couple bartenders out there. Wait, yeah, a couple totally. waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Mm. Well, so I took that quiz, that test. I feel like it took all day, too. Like, I feel like it was like a huge thing. And mine came back saying that I should be either an interior designer <gasps> Or a florist. Oh my god! And so eighties. My mom was fucking pissed. What? She was like, "You're a straight A student. You're the smartest kid at your school, 
And the moment you checked female on mm-hmm. that test, it put you in this box. And I remember also feeling like angry when she pointed that out to me. I was yeah. like, yeah, fuck the man. Right. But now yeah. I took a flower arranging class last year and I love mm-hmm. it. And I actually do a flower arrangement every week for Dylan. Oh, <laughs> I know. I like love arranging flowers. Like I wish we were in a time when I could have people over so we could have amazing floral centerpieces for dinner parties, you know? For all you listeners out there, Dylan is Amanda's daughter. Yes, she is. She is. And uh, I usually do like a pink themed arrangement for her, like pastel, because that's the vibe of her room. It's very like soft girl tumbler. <laughs> that's great. She has definitely been dressing in that uh, dark, what was it? Dark academic. Dark academia. Yeah. Dark academia. Like a lot of uh, plaid skirts and whatnot. Yeah. I I just love this new flower arranging trend. I hope to see more. There's a lot of focus on like strong color, asymmetry, texture, mixed media. And I can't wait to see where this goes. I think it does tie into cottage core. I think even thinking about our episode where we talked about Mm -hmm. the gelatin art this connects to that. And I would also say, so does the cake decorating. These like feminine arts and elevating them. I like that feminine arts. It definitely is. It's about, it's taking those feminine arts back and making them, you know, really out of this world and bringing so much joy to your, your home because of them. It is. And I love that we live in a time now where nobody has anything to do. So instead of seeing brunch photos, I get to see photos yeah. of something that people made. God. I know. Like, you and I, I remember back when you and I worked at Nasty Gallon, I don't know if you were in this meeting, but we had to have a meeting where all we did was go on. It was one of those dumb Monday meetings, you know, where we only talked about brunch dresses for like three fucking hours about oh. how girls are dressing up for brunch. Yeah. They do it twice every weekend. They need two new outfits every weekend. So brunch, brunch, two brunch, brunch, brunch. Outfits. Brunch, 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 brunch. <laughs> I refuse to eat brunch. In fact, if someone says, would you like to go out for brunch? I'm like, no, I have diarrhea. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not going to brunch. You know what? You want to have breakfast? Sure. You want to have lunch? Fine. Drinks, coffee, dessert, whatever. If you invite me out to brunch, you're dead to me. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because these brunch dresses have ruined it. (laughs) You know what? You know what is my favorite meal? When you make breakfast for dinner. I love breakfast for dinner. I love it. Dylan and I do it all the time. It really weirds out my husband. He's like, but it's dinner. And I'm like, what? Breakfast for dinner is the best. Breakfast for dinner. Hash browns. Eggs. But I'm not like... Hey, everybody, put on your Brenner clothes. Yeah, Brenner clothes. Brenner. <laughs> Fuck that. So anyway, I'm glad that now that we can't all go out and be hashtag brunch life or whatever, we now make things with our spare time. Yeah. And I hope that this continues, whether it's flower arrangements, cakes, needlepoint. Just finding new loves, finding new things that you're passionate about. I haven't even seen the word brunch on Instagram in months. <laughs> I don't think and, they know how to make brunch. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going out for brunch. It's it's breakfast, okay? Teachers, teach yourself how to poach an egg. It's extremely easy. If you need to know, just DM us. I'll tell you. 
I'll teach you how to make a frittata or a quiche. I got I got all kinds of recipes there. Hollandaise. I'll... I feel like we need a hollandaise <sighs> sauce recipe. Yes, for yeah. sure. And let me tell you, I am the waffle master. I can teach you all kinds of waffles. Oh. Low carb, vegan, gluten free, mm. you name mm. it. Savory, sweet, I got them. Okay, make <laughs> your own brunch. It's called breakfast. Even if you eat it at two p.m., you don't need to call it brunch. You don't need a special <laughs> dress. Move on with your day. Yeah, you do not need a dress. You do not. Eggs. You do not. Anyway, I'm glad that we got that out because it's been on my mind for years now. <laughs> <laughs> now it's recorded. Now it's recorded for the rest of the world to know. Mm-hmm. If you say brunch again, I'm deleting you. (laughs) (laughs) So that brings me, okay, so the conversation of the two fucking brunch dresses per week reminds me of a trend that I'm trying to start. I'm trying really, really hard on my own Instagram and on the clothes horse, which is my other podcast Instagram, and it's called hashtag oops I wore it again it's something that I've come up with that's kind of anti the idea that you can't wear the same thing on Instagram twice this is a thing can you believe that this is a thing Kim I can I can't believe it I'm not not trying to sell you out here I couldn't even describe one of your outfits (laughs) because oh I know you know why because you have this really strong defined personal style and it's not like you're wearing the same thing every day but it's so in line with how I picture Kim that if you showed up in a different outfit I'd be really confused you know if you started posting pictures of yourself in a different outfit every day on Instagram if it was in line with your personal style as it is right now I wouldn't notice you'd be just wasting your money and time and if it was like suddenly you were into cottagecore I'd be really confused But 41% of all the 18 to 25-year-olds that have been surveyed about this feel the pressure to wear a different outfit every time they go out. That's disgusting. That's gross, especially if you go out Friday, Saturday night, maybe Sunday, maybe Wednesday. And another 33% of women, regardless of age, Mm -hmm. so not just the young people, also the olds, Consider an outfit to be old after wearing it fewer than three times. What? I know. These are not investment pieces. It's gross. If you got to go to brunch twice a weekend and you need a different outfit every time, I mean, I just don't even know how this works. Speaking of dresses, brunch and otherwise, 72% of women say they usually only wear a dress one time. (gasps) What? Why? Because they just feel like it's already been seen. It's it's like clueless. You and I aren't the people who go to a lot of weddings, right? No. We're not those people who are like from May through October, we're at a wedding every weekend, no. right? We're some of the few people in the world who don't live that life for some reason. And I think it's because most of our friends are either spinsters or gay men, I think. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I've always worked with tons of women who are going to a wedding two, three times a month. They literally call it wedding season and they buy a new dress for every single wedding. And this is how you end up only wearing a dress one time, right? And having a closet full of stuff you don't wear that is not versatile. You couldn't wear it to work. You couldn't wear it to the grocery store. What a waste. Right? And so one in six people say that they can't wear an outfit again if it's been photographed on social media. I mean, this is gross like who are your friends like who expects that of you if i had a friend who was like that we would not be friends and i would be worried about their credit (laughs) you know 
Guys, this is gross. If you're doing this, you can just stop right now. Send us an email. I'll try to help you work it out. We'll get you help. If you have a friend who has this problem, you need to shake them after the pandemic is over. Maybe psychically shake them right now. This is out of control. So that's why I want to start a new trend called hashtag oops, I wore it again, or perhaps hashtag worn 50 times, worn 20 times. Hell, Mm -hmm. worn 10 times would be a massive improvement. Basically, I want people to be photographed wearing the same outfit regularly, maybe with different accessories in different places, maybe not. I think it'd be great to show the importance of having a versatile outfit Versus an overstuffed closet of one-offs, you know, just like having a full mm-hmm. wardrobe that works together, that conveys your personal style, would save you a lot of money. Plus, you can invest in things that cost a little bit more money and last longer. If you're not buying three dresses a month to go to weddings that you're never going to wear again, right there's a ton of cash for buying things that are going to last a long time. And who cares if you wore a dress to another wedding because you're not the bride? Yeah. No one cares about you. Stop it. (laughs) Amanda, what about these subscription, you know, like newly? What about those kinds of options? I think they're a really great idea. But like all things, there's never an easy solution, right? So on one hand, you're not wasting clothing, right? But it is important to remember that stuff is being shipped back and forth. So we're looking at a carbon footprint there. Now, newly, like the package that it ships in is, is made of recycled plastic. So they're not wasting any packaging at all. So to me, that is far less impactful for, from an environmental perspective. Whereas Rent the Runway ships everything in plastic bags, like dry cleaner bags, sort of, you know? Wow. Yeah. Really? And you can send them back and supposedly they recycle them. I'm very, very skeptical because plastic bag recycling is really complicated and not available in a lot of places. And the scale of plastic bags that they're sending back. So I tried Rent the Runway for about six months. And that was the thing that really got me was the plastic bags. Also, Rent the Runway dry cleans mostly everything. And dry cleaning chemicals are very bad for the environment, like incredibly toxic. Like Interesting. Yeah. If one drop of dry cleaning solution gets into the floor of a dry cleaner, it seeps through the floor into the ground soil and the entire ground and building is toxic. That's why you'll see sometimes in the rare situation in which a dry cleaner goes out of business, nothing ever moves in there again. It sits that empty forever because it's not reusable. Hmm. So that's one of the drawbacks of Rent the Runway. Newly wet washes their stuff, so that's less toxic. But I also want to remind you that if clothes are made of polyester and synthetics like that, every time they get washed, they're shedding microplastics into the water supply. So no matter what, you just don't want to be wearing a lot of synthetics and then having them washed a lot. So if you are going to opt for that, I would say be sure to read the fabric content and try to opt for natural fibers. But overall, you got a lot of weddings to go to. I think this is the way to go. Uh, if you feel that you cannot show your face at a wedding <laughs> wearing a, an outfit you've worn in the past, this is the way to go. Rent it. Rent it. Maybe you have a friend circle that would judge you. and Or maybe you have a friend circle where you guys have clothes that you can just swap. and Or you could borrow yeah. someone's dress for this wedding. Totally. Totally. I think there's a lot of other ways around this. Don't keep buying all these clothes. And I'm sorry, but... I don't want you renting clothes to go out to brunch. Just fucking stop it. (laughs) 
Amanda's going to trip you if she sees you out in a whole new brunch outfit every single weekend. (laughs) So what I've been doing, I'm not a person who takes a lot of photos of myself or lets people take photos of myself, but I have been looking through my phone to find, like I have this one dress. It's one of my favorite articles of clothing. It's by a designer named Carla Fernandez. I bought it in Mexico City like three, four years ago. And I have worn that dress all around the world. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's gotten so much wear out of it and it's still stunning. And, you know, I haven't been able to wear it as much this year because it feels too awesome to wear at home, but maybe I will. And so I'm trying to gather together pictures of things like that, where I'm like, look at all the times I've worn this and all the different things I did with it and all the different places I went. And I would love for everybody else to do that too. And not just with your sweatpants. I mean, I, I invest in my pieces. I will usually get something from, you know, a designer that I really love and I will spend a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I wear those things hundreds of times. I don't, I, I don't even think about the idea of someone's already seen me in it just because you make it your style and you make it part of you and nobody can fault you for that. He's like, oh, there's Kim wearing that right, a Rachel Comey tiger blazer again. Yeah, it's bold, it's loud, but no one's going to think poorly about it. Yeah, no one's going to be like, wow, Kim's a loser. <laughs> exactly. I never even would think about that. It's just like a self-confidence thing, I suppose. I have vintage clothes that I have had for well more than a decade, you know, and I still wear mm-hmm. them all the time. They still feel just as magical and cool now. I get just as many compliments now as the first 50 times I wore it. So please wear your clothes more often. So I'm going to take us on to our last topic. You know, I really wanted to talk about an Instagram famous community brand. And I had a hard time picking because there's so many really good ones. Like I really also wanted to talk about Starface, which I think is just doing so many amazing things, but we'll talk about it at another time. This one I'm going to talk about is the Fluid Beauty brand. Uh And it's this new beauty Mm -hmm. cosmetic disruptor that's out on the market. They're Brooklyn based and they are a fully community supported brand. They basically are a queer cosmetics brand dedicated to to shredding gender norms in the makeup industry, which is something that just is unheard of. And obviously they saw a niche in this market and a a need to support the the queer community in embracing makeup as a culture. So I think this, this brand is so cool, so fascinating. And they really came in, they filled a void and they're just kind of, they're on a trajectory going places. So it's this acceptance of gender fluidity as well as color inclusive. They really understand their customer base and they've made not just a safe space, but also a community of like-minded mm-hmm. creative individuals. You know, I read a bunch of articles on them. They are covered in all of the big ones, you know, like Forbes and Fast Company and all of those. Everyone's, you know, really excited about what they're doing because it's clearly just d- disrupting this extremely aged industry, you know, and the owners were talking about shame and makeup in the cosmetic industry when it comes to the the queer community. The Fluid took a new approach and saw a very ignored demographic, and they specifically market their cruelty-free products, which you'll love, Amanda, to gender queer and gender expansive young people who do not often have the opportunity to buy makeup without shame. So not only is it going against shame, it's embracing creativity mm-hmm. and self-expression. So if you go to their Instagram, they have just 
awesome user generated content. Plus they all, they have a great creative mm-hmm. director that, that develops all this, this content. They donate a percentage of each sale to the LGBTQ advocacy groups product. So bright, so fun, so cool. It's non-traditional, lots of glitter, lots of fun. The glitter is all biodegradable. <laughs> I love their primary color nail polish and their universal glitter sticks. This is just one brand that I think is really kind of doing this right and filling in a void. Uh, their stuff is beautiful. I'm already like, what am I going to buy first? Were you familiar with them at all? I'd heard of them, but yeah. I never really like, like right now I pulled up their product website and so cool. I'm dying. The nail polish is everything I've been looking for. And, you know, they're doing masks, face masks. Um, Their face masks have like these like lips on them. You can have lip of a clean, Mm -hmm. clean lip, or you can have one with a little mustache on it, which is really cute. But they're exploring a lot of like eye makeup, you know, so you can wear the mask, but then you do the glittery eye. I mean, their glitter, I I love glitter. I've been trying to cut back, but this stuff is amazing. Uh, I'm like so into it. It's such a good company to support too. I've always been really crunchy and really feminist. And something that I've been coming up against since I was a teenager is like, I love makeup. And it doesn't mean that I'm like any less politically radical. You know what I mean? Uh I think we still have this idea as a society that first off, makeup is only for female presenting people, right? And that if you do wear makeup, you're somehow weak or silly. You don't care about things. You only care about looks. You're shallow. You're whatever. But one, anyone can wear makeup. I get actually really excited when I see someone who presents as male wearing makeup anyway and oh like lipstick yeah yeah totally love it and I think I mean I know I'm preaching the choir here but makeup is an art form in itself I could look at makeup looks like art artistic makeup looks on Instagram all day long I (laughs) I just love it and I do worry a lot about the wastefulness of cosmetics so I love to look at a brand that is going minimal on the packaging is doing biodegradable mm-hmm. glitter. Glitter is a microplastic. I'm definitely going to be ordering some of this. And it's all cr- cruelty-free. Yeah, and being cruelty-free. Mm-hmm. I mean, makeup has been a bad thing for the world in the past, and I'm excited for it to be a better thing because I don't want it to go away. I don't want to give up makeup. Yeah. Um. So I thought before we're done, you know what I was thinking? We should talk about this article that I sent you the other day. Yeah. It's been on my mind. That was in Business Insider, Absolutely. <laughs> where all the cool people read articles. Well, I mean, j- just just to preface this also is we're currently, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, we're in the middle of a complete disruption of, our, of the fashion industry where, you know, I mean, everything is being turned on its heads, including tons of brands. So go on, Amanda. Yeah. So I loved this article because... It was weird. I think it was presented to me on like Apple News or something. I always read Apple News when I wake up in the morning. And it had a really weird headline that was basically saying that Brooks Brothers and J. Crew were going out of business because of Black Lives Matter or something. It was like something super weird. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. But the actual article was way better because it really talked about this idea that, well, compared it to the French Revolution. 
In the French Revolution, if you're not familiar with it, the peasants of the society were fed up by being poor and watching the aristocracy live the most lavish life you could lead. And so they stormed the palace of Versailles. They imprisoned the king and queen. Marie Antoinette was the queen. Eventually they beheaded them. They killed their children. A lot of other aristocracy was beheaded or you know, turned into laborers. And they reclaimed the country to be a lot less wealth disparity and more of a spread of the wealth throughout the country, right? Yeah, I mean, they were, they were like in complete poverty while, while these people were literally dusting their hair with flour that they couldn't even get to eat. Exactly, exactly. And so part of the French Revolution, which obviously had huge social and economic implications, huge shift, one of the minor parts of it is it also changed the way people dressed. And there was this idea of it being less fussy, less pieces that you wore and mm -hmm. less formal because even peasants of that time still had to wear a lot of stuff. Like there was a lot of sort of social niceties around all the things you had to wear. And this, this went away in the era of the French Revolution. And basically a business insider who's never woke about anything ever, <laughs> this is a very, yeah, right. <laughs> a very shocking article for me to read, was basically saying, we're going through a revolution of our own right now here in the United States and possibly in other Western countries as well, because especially here in the U.S., things fucking suck. People are sick. They're dying. People are facing eviction. There's like staggering job loss. People are very fearful. No one trusts the leadership. No one does, right? Yeah. And socialism is becoming a lot more popular than it's ever been. Well, also the, the, the people in the office are, you know, they're full, they did the full on let them eat cake with a can of Goya beans. I know, which, <laughs> oh my God. We've always been a Goya family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we eat a lot of beans in this house. We always go for Goya. It, it was a it was shocking to us. So Business Insider is speculating that brands like Brooks Brothers and J. Crew, both of whom have claimed uh, bankruptcy recently, are these emblems of upper class America that are going away because of this new cultural uprising and, and using the French Revolution as a parallel? Well, I mean, I did a little bit of research on Brooks Brothers because it is just something I don't care about. <laughs> Me neither. I don't care about J. Crew either. I never thought all these places were relevant on any level. Brooks Brothers has been around for 200 years. Their first store was in Wall Street. And so obviously they really appealed to this Wall Street crowd for years. And apparently, you know, they've been having a lot of issues because they have not wanted to, to offer their product offerings. You know, they were one of the first suits that you didn't have to have custom made. And they were actually the first designers of the of the polo shirt. Wow. Th thank you. Um, you know, not the Stanley Tucci <laughs> polo shirt. That's more of a European <laughs> cut, but. Um, <laughs> I think the world would have been better off without the polo yeah. shirt. <laughs> I know, bold statement. Well, what are they going to wear? I mean, it's like, it's a dressy t-shirt. Oh, you know? it's so gross. It's like, it has a collar to Ugh. it. Brooks Brothers staunchly stayed American made and their factories made no money and it was, mm -hmm. they were hemorrhaging money. They also just refused to change with the times. Like if you look at the way that the Wall Street guys are dressing now, it's basically only Patagonia vests. There's a whole Instagram account about this. You tell me what you think. 
I I don't think Brooks Brothers going out of business has anything to do with social uprising. I think we're just changing the way we dress. We're changing the way we dress. And well, they're, they also weren't changing the, the way that they developed clothes and made clothes for the more casual person, perhaps a rebrand. And, you know, obviously they're in bankruptcy, so they, they will likely restructure and maybe they'll restructure for the better and try some different things and try to do some cool tech or casual wear that will reinvent them. But Brooks Brothers really, it, it's super conservative. And mm-hmm. the brand itself is just kind of, it's stuck in like the mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street world, you know, and that's just outdated. And J. Crew, you know, there's there's a, there's a, there's a couple types of preppy, you know, there's there's like this sporty preppy that's really hot right now. But then there's this type of preppy, which is like a chino and like a... <laughs> I mean, it was just a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Just cover your body. Clothes that obscure your nudity. <laughs> if someone committed a crime in J. Crew, oh, You'd be bored to death. And I was like called in to like give a description of the person. I would have nothing yeah. to say. I'd be like... It was like maybe an A-line skirt. I can't, I don't remember if it was a man or a woman. There was beige feeling. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just not what's, what's cool or interesting anymore, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I would love for all these dumb businesses to be going out of business because we all decided we weren't going to spend money on bullshit anymore. But I know that's not what's yeah. happening. And like I said, this was like a very bold article for Business Insider, yeah. but it did seem a little delusional. I think there's some, there's definitely, there's points. And I think it's a really good think piece. It is something to think about that maybe there's going to be some sort of economic democratization of our society. I want to believe that that's something that could happen because, you know, the reality is that like, we don't really have much of a middle class anymore and the pandemic is ensuring that it's even smaller. Like I like the idea of us saying like, Hey, we're, we're not going to be so class focused. We're going to not buy stupidly expensive things so we can feel special. I mean, you know, like Brooks brothers, one of the reasons why they went to bankruptcy is because nobody needed a suit, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an uprising, like months of no sales. (laughs) Right. Well, and also, interestingly enough, all those statistics I gave you earlier about women not wanting to rewear clothes, men surveyed said that they wear the same clothes all the time. (laughs) So while we, the women, with our brunch dresses and our wedding guest outfits are just keeping the system churning, men are like, "Mm, I got this suit. I'm good. And they're also not wearing a suit to brunch. Yeah. yeah. And I do think that the Good tech bros deciding to adopt vests mm-hmm. has been probably really devastating. Oh, yeah. No, because that, that's all they wear now. And that's and that's become completely normalized is where you can wear your, your Patagonia vest. And that is a that's a key <laughs> look in the office. That means that, oh. you know, you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's how you know you're a mover and a shaker. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I can never tell those guys apart either. If one of those guys committed a crime, I would just only be like, he was white. <laughs> Well, they call them chads. I know. It's so Instead of Karens, they're chads. (laughs) (laughs) The only person I've known my entire life named Chad went to elementary school with me, and he was famous for being able to do the best armpit farts in the whole school. (laughs) That that tracks. (laughs) I think think that, 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 that wrapped it up. I mean, obviously... (laughs) 
we spiraled it down into a lot of different pits. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Department. I hope you learned a lot. And you're going to, right now, you are brainstorming who was the best armpit farter in my school. <laughs> and you have to make an internet meme about it with either a Barbie or a turtle or something, whatever it is, make, make your Chad meme. If you have anything to contribute to the conversation, you have new trend ideas, you think we're totally wrong that there are no new memes, please send us an email at info at the department.world. You can also find us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Kim's been doing this amazing job of adding all of the brands and content that we call out on our website. So you can find all of that at thedepartment.world. And Amanda has been crushing it with her trend stories and posts on our Instagram. So be sure to follow us. Yeah, I guess I'm a social media manager now. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 